Welcome to Hit The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I'm one of your hosts, Michael, and as much as I would like to be stone by day and warrior by night, I unfortunately can't. But uh, this week I am joined by my co-host, uh, friend, and um, <laughs> man that I would say potentially lives his life by the sword in a time of darkness in a world of fear, Jesse, how you doing, Jesse? I'm good, man. That was that was a that was a nice intro. I see. I thought you were setting me up for a stoner joke when you started that out, but you went the other way. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, not that kind of stone. Uh, in this episode, we'll be talking about Jesse. I figured as much. I just thought you know it was going to be a quick put me down because it was right there, but you went. You opted not to go for the low-hanging fruit, so good on you. Yeah, thanks. Um, you can be nice. Of course I can be nice. Just <laughs> depends on the situation, right? I, I suppose so. Uh, perfect. So um, this episode, we're, gonna, we're still in the midst of our spooky season stuff. Um, and this has kind of been a topic I touched base with on Jesse a while back. I think it was it was probably quite a few months. And I was like, hey, I'd love to talk about this show that I um, really love. Uh, I always thought it was pretty great. Wanted to kind of discuss here and uh, also wanted to see if Jesse thought or had any sort of experience with it. And he's like, oh, I didn't really watch that. Um, so I was just like, oh, OK, cool. Well, I think this will be good one, one of these like us telling the other person about a particular media that we think is cool and fun and interesting. And yeah, but uh, what we're going to be talking about, and this one's kind of going to be a weird one, just FYI, because I really like the, the, the history here of kind of leading up to this and kind of the, the historical references that are made. Um, but we are going to be talking about um, Disney's uh, animated show Gargoyles. Yeah, uh, which came out in 1994. So that's probably why I have like a really strong, like, uh, uh, rose tinted uh, nostalgia glasses for it because it was like on during what is our, what was our childhood, uh, <laughs> and I really enjoyed watching it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this show aired on Fox, correct? Uh. I... Or Fox Kids or whatever it was. So it, it aired on Disney Afternoons is when it, what was its original uh, programming block that it aired on. I don't know what Fox. Uh... Because for whatever reason, and this could just be me not remembering correctly because I was all of five or six years old, but uh, <laughs> I always associate this show is being in like the same block along with the Spider-Man animated series and with like, you know, those shows, but perhaps it was on Disney instead. And I'm just misremembering that, but that in my mind, that's how I remember this. Yeah. So it was on, it came on with the Disney afternoon. So I don't think it was ever intersected with the, uh, like Batman, the animated series, or Spider-Man, uh, X-Men, mm -hmm. those types. Um, being said, though, I think 
that's a good point to like kind of make that I was going to talk about later, Jesse. So sure. I, yeah. this is just to tell the viewers, you know, that I'm clearly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Michael wasn't kidding. I'm, I'm clearly, you know, not an authority on this at all, but I get, you know, that's where my mind went for that. Was Street Sharks also on Disney? Do you know? Uh, Street Sharks? You remember that wow, show with the, the sharks that had rollerblades? Yeah, so I, I do remember Street Sharks, Jesse. Uh, I, it was a Deke production, if I remember correctly. Um, mm -hmm. So that could have been anybody, because Deke was Canadian, if I remember. Oh, no, it was a division of Walt Disney, so I guess it probably might have been on the same. Okay, so I did watch Street Sharks a little bit, so maybe that's where that <laughs> that connection is i knew yeah. it was somewhere with one of those other shows but yeah so i just want to yeah so to that point though you talking about kind of like all of these shows shows kind of blending together a little bit in you know the, the, the looking back in the past down memory lane stuff was yeah. specifically because with batman the animated series coming out it really accentuated the the fact that like dark cartoons were a a big kind of money maker for some of these shows that i mean the batman the animated series i think was in its second season about this time they started talking about doing gargoyles the animated show mm -hmm. and people were really loving the fact that it was so like it kind of addressed some of the darker tones it had uh, deeper stories it didn't talk down to kids um, as many other shows were doing at the time, it kind of had that air about it of maturity. And so the blending of, I think, some of the darker aesthetical tones of Batman the Animated Series, in addition to some of the other stuff that Disney was doing, I think of um, the Adventures of the Gummy Bears, <laughs> where, I, I know, really, yeah. really... Don't remember that one. <laughs> oh, you don't remember uh, bouncing here and e there and everywhere. They are the gummy bears. Um, it does not ring a bell. No, uh, mystery is part of their history. Uh, I'm trying. Uh, this is the theme song. Um, but shows like that that had an overarching storyline. It was not just uh, like you know an episodic show. It did have it did have you know the monsters of the week, quote unquote stuff. But it did have like an overarching story. And it, they realized that people would tune in consistently or as much as kids could do to watch these ongoing storylines and really get engaged, just like, you know, adult shows have those ongoing storylines. So that's where Gargoyles kind of came out of the idea. And the original pitch for Gargoyles, the animated series, was much goofier, um, mm -hmm. much more. You even go if you find some of the old anime or uh, old sketch designs of some of the characters you you see some of these more cartoonish designs like especially when you look at the the character of bronx who is their um dog gargoyle we'll get into that in a little bit but mm -hmm. um in the original he was like some like goofy looking kind of long-tailed uh clearly cartoonish animated um creature and then when you look at him in the show very different much more 
of a sturdier build, much like much more hunched forward, uh, very much so looking of indic uh, indicative of a guard dog um, as an image. So that's kind of where this show came from was the blending of these ideas and really was originally kind of pitched as a thought process. Um, they kind of had a few creators kind of throwing around some ideas, but the real like person that took it and made it their own um, was uh, Greg Wiseman, um, who we'll mm -hmm. come back to in a little bit uh, when I get down a little bit further, but he's the one that really grabbed it and took hold of it and really showcased and developed this idea from what originally was to something different. Um, and that all changed with the introduction of one character in the show um, whose name is Goliath. And that's where we're going to stop this conversation. And I'm going to quickly talk about, because I think it's very important that we talk about where gargoyles come from in our cultural understanding, historically, uh, mythology-wise, just everything about them. Because mm -hmm. I think it's so interesting and so important to the show because it changed so much and kind of harkens both to their many different origins they have. So Jesse. Yes. Do you know what a gargoyle in the architectural sense is? I, are, are you looking for a definition or are you just asking me if I know what it is? <laughs> if you know what it is, if you know, give, give me what you got and we'll, go from there uh well typically i would say gargoyle in the architectural definition is like a sculpture of some sort and add on to let's say maybe the roof of a building yeah so you're pretty close and, and i think they had a, a purpose as well but i can't recall that off the top of my head yeah. So specifically, uh, gargoyles, um, as they're referred to in architectural uh, standpoint, is a gargoyle is a architectural uh, accent piece that is kind of uh, an early gutter uh, drainage system. So they have usually on the sides of buildings uh, and they have their mouths usually open because that's where the water has to come out. So there's just a way for the water to uh, come off the roof and then be shot out far enough from the building that it won't drip down on the building and, and erode the building on the side. It's the idea is that they're pushing the water out further. So that's kind of what a gargoyle is in an architectural sense. If it doesn't shoot out um, water, uh, out of its mouth, if it's just like a on the side of the building, then it's just more of a feature than it's referred to as a architectural grotesque. So not all, uh, how is it, you know, not all squares are rectangles and not all rectangles are squares, that type of thing. So it's very similar. So not all grotesques are gargoyles, but all gargoyles are grotesques. Um, and the origins of them are kind of mired. Interestingly, the word gargoyle comes from an old French term um, or an old French story where 
it's a French legend that was about a serpent that lived in a river. Um, and the serpent's name was, and I'm going to probably pronounce this incorrectly, and I apologize, Gargulia. And, or was just uh, Goji. And they, it was a large serpent that lived in this river. It would eat ships and it would uh, spout huge torrents of water out of its mouth, flooding the nearby fields. And its original name actually comes from the Latin word uh, to mean gargle, like you do with water, right? Or gullet. And okay. so story goes that a town that this that this uh, monster, the serpent monster was near said to this priest like, hey, if you um, kill this uh, serpent, we'll build a church for you. Or <laughs> sometimes it's that they built the church and then he had to go kill it. They told him this. The priest said, OK, they built the church. He goes off, he kills the beast, uh, which later is one of the things that canonizes him um, into becoming a saint. So they canonize him, he becomes a saint. He then uh, goes and looks at this church and it's beautiful and wonderful and fantastic. That's it. Except that the monster's uh, head and neck does not decay. It's It just keeps staying there, um, even after they tried to burn it. And so what they did was is that they took the, the head and the neck and they actually mounted it onto the walls of the newly built church to scare away evil spirits and to use as protection. And so that's kind of where the origins of gargoyles come from, right? Uh, so they st really started showing up on these architectural pieces during the medieval age on churches mainly, but also on other buildings to serve the function of a water spirit spout for rain to fly away in but this wasn't the first time that humans had done this we actually can find uh gargoyles as we understand them a carving of a face with an open mouth dating back to egyptian times where mostly it was a lot of lion heads which you know kind of makes sense it's us like it gargles it kind of roars like a lion it's kind of it's it's almost kind of cute in the way that they did these types of pieces to like m kind of make sense of it. Um, the Greeks also had several on their temples and stuff like that. So the medieval age wasn't the people that started it, but that's really where it exploded. And you see a lot more of these grotesques really becoming something that Masons can really spend time in and develop. And no two gargoyles is really ever don't ever really look the same. And it allowed for, uh, you know, stonemasons to actually kind of express some intricacy in what they were doing, uh, have a little bit of artistic uh, expression to what they wanted to do. So a lot of the times gargoyles were kind of, it, it, it kind of gets muddied in history if they were always seen as protectors or if they were seen as the potential for evil uh, darkness made manifest upon the church. Uh, I mean, everyone during those times was going to church, right? They were always there. And seeing that, maybe people thought, really seeing that physical manifestation because a lot of the peasants couldn't read. Uh, and so they had these depictions to help people see this is what evil looks like. 
or it was like, hey, look, these are so scary and terrifying on the church that it actually scares the devil away and demons away from the church because they already think there's demons in, uh, there. So this is the barrier. These will scare the evil spirits away and inside is uh, safe. So that's kind of like the history behind them. And so it kind of goes back and forth on are they a symbol of protection? Are they a symbol of good? Are they a symbol of evil? Are they dark scariness from beyond? So well, that's, what are they, Michael? Well, that's that that's the cool fun part of this, right? It goes back and forth in literature as well. Um, some of the first uh, classification of gargoyle as reference to a living thing really wasn't a big story up until that's the thing we 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 don't really see gargoyles as a quote-unquote living thing or an embodiment of something that comes alive until we get a few references in uh one of them being in the books of wizard uh wizard of oz uh, i think it's the fourth book in that series where there are small little wooden creatures that are directly referred to as gargoyles but are made out of wood they fly around they're scared by loud noises um and they have like gross uh scary looking faces it's not really a stone gargoyle right it doesn't have that connection to the origins of them on the church there are a few other stories um that reference it that come out a little bit later and we see them i think one of the stories is it's a guy, he's a stone carver, and they commission him to make a uh, some gargoyles for the local church. And he's treated horrifically badly. And so he's pouring his anger into these sculptures. And in doing so, he put he puts his anger and hatred into one, and then he puts his disgusting loathful lustful thoughts in the other and they're described to having like wings of a animal of a bat uh, one has feathers one ha and it has a cat head the story is the maker of gargoyle gargoyles by clark a ashton smith um and that's kind of the first depiction we have of a stone creature coming alive and attacking people or doing something uh, outside of the norm. And from that point on, they're kind of seen as these scary kind of dark creatures where they're used in a lot of uh, fantasy settings as kind of these terrifying monsters that are lurking in the shadows that are ready to come alive. And reinforced in lots of different media from D&D uh, &D campaign books um, where I think at the very first one of the very first monsters in the first editions of D&D &D was a gargoyle marked as a chaotic evil creature that could freeze and stand still and you know look like a stone statue and then ambush you so we see a lot of these and that's kind of how gargoyle is depicted for quite some time as these kind of scarier creatures until we get to our main talking points <laughs> uh gargoyles the animated series where they're shown back 
or come back as defenders and guardians of humanity. I feel like we should have had our buddy Ryan on for that first part so we could get some architectural insight and some history on that stuff. I think you would have appreciated that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, admittedly, I hope I'm doing, I, I do well by it. It's, it's kind of I mean, not my touch, not my strongest suit, but I mean, I was curious. And so I did a lot of research on it. So but you're asking an angle or you're asking an English major that so <laughs> it sounded well researched to me. So Wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is why I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the show Gargoyles and kind of talk about where it came from and then talk about the origins. Like I was saying, it, it, are they creatures of horror or, or are they creatures of protection? And so Gargoyles, the show, asks that question quite frequently. It mm -hmm. is sometimes not the most thinly veiled um, uh, metaphor for, you know, race relations. Uh, and that's why I think the show is so good is because it asks so many questions. It has so many characters. It asks a lot of these thought provoking questions and also has very in-depth and dark themes, yet also having a lighthearted moment. And the gargoyles themselves are protectors. That's how they start out as in the show. They have a castle in Scotland, um, and they are protectors of this castle. They, like I referenced earlier, and, and even in their intro to the show, it talks about... Um, how they are stone by day, warriors by night. Um, they are defenders of the night. So in the show, what happens is, is the gargoyles turn to stone. They look just like a stone sculpture uh, when the sun touches them, or even just when the sun comes up. They they prove that it's not just like them physically seeing the sun. It is anytime the sun is up, they turn to stone instantly. Um, that means potentially even while they're flying or they're over water or, you know, in a precarious position, they just turn to stone. And then when the sun sets, they uh, erupt out of their, uh, their stone skin and reveal themselves as living, breathing uh, creatures. They reveal themselves as living, breathing creatures. And through that, the idea is that when they are stone, they are incredibly vulnerable. They're, they are just like a stone sculpture. You don't like hit them with like a hammer and they like crack open like an egg and there's gooey bits on the inside. No, when they turn to stone, they completely uh, are stone through and through. And then when they uh, awake in the evenings, they it just looks like it's a, sk uh, a skin. I'm not entirely sure how that works with, you know, bioscience and stuff like that, but it's cool and the concept is, is that they make partnerships with humans to protect during the day they uh, the humans protect them during the day and then they protect the humans at night um and are the humans aware of their ability to become like actual beings at night and is this like a handshake agreement that the gargoyles and the humans have so it does start out with that so the first um few the first in the first season the first i think it what is the first five episodes kind of sets up the story um 
and it's eventually did get re-released as like a more of a like made for tv movie type thing Mm -hmm. but in the first five episodes it kind of talks it showcases what their relationship of the gargoyles is uh when they are first introduced to us which is kind of i don't want to spoil too much but it's very cool that the start of this whole series and the show and the history behind it actually the gargoyles uh so the gargoyles actually living in a castle in scotland medieval scotland in uh 994 ad they live alongside humans in a communal relationship where the humans know about the gargoyles at night um the gargoyles in fact live in the on the castle parapets uh and in fact eat food they even have their uh, hatchery uh below the castle itself um so that way they can keep their eggs safe and that's the that's the relationship they have now the humans do see the gargoyles as monsters uh many of them just see them as what they think they are these horrific disgusting monsters now the cool thing is that gargoyles don't they look vastly different each one has their own kind of color uh there is like continuous like shapes to them where uh you see different wing patterns and just uh, facial structure how they look how they act how they stand so it is a very cool thing that they have all these different uh, silhouettes to them but they all do look like what we consider as a monster they're very well spoken Um, some of them are quite intelligent and eventually what happens is, is to kick off our series is that these humans that are in the scottish castle eventually a betrayal happens and through some misunderstandings that i will again kind of leave up to those that would be interested to watch this series because it is very good um they get turned to stone by a magic spell and are frozen for a thousand years and the spell can only be broken when the castle rises above the clouds okay so what eventually happens is, is that a character who I still think, and this is this is one of the big things I wanted to talk about, is um, this uh, billionaire in uh, 1994, um, David Xanatos, uh, purchases the castle itself because he's heard about this legend of these what are actual living gargoyles. Um, and this castle, like their spell would be broken if they the castle rise above the sky or the clouds. And so he purchases this castle from Scotland and he flies the entire castle brick by brick over to New York City and builds it up atop this skyscraper. Now, the architecture for the skyscraper itself is crazy cool looking. It has like this very traditional kind of looking uh, skyscraper facade. And then it starts getting these very cool angles and the castle sits atop this um, skyscraper and just below it, there's like this giant glass piece that like has like a entire uh, terrarium inside of it. And it's just, it's very cool. Um, But he raises the castle above the clouds. And then one night he's standing up there and surprise, surprise, the gargoyles live again and they burst out of the stone. 
And this is how we get to the main premise of the show. Yeah, this is how we get to the main premise of the show, where you have the Scotland clan of the gargoyles made up of uh, Goliath, who's the main kind of protagonist and the one that changed the entire outlook of the show, um, uh, who is originally named is only one of the uh, gargoyles in this, the Scottish clan, don't have names. They just refer to each other as others they don't they just refer to each other as brother and sister goliath is the only one that is named by humans mm -hmm. uh from this clan i should specify because they're that that part gets a little weirder down the line that makes less sense um which is the only problem i have with the show but um then there is hudson um who is the old kind of mentor who was the original leader of the Scottish clan before Goliath took over. Eventually he's kind of the mentor. The, the, I've been around guy, the warrior. Um, there's um, Brooklyn who is kind of the hothead uh, anger guy uh, who eventually slowly does become the, the, the next in line for the clan and starts taking out some leadership roles. Uh, Lexington, who is the brains and you know does computers one? Um, then there's uh, Broadway, who's the fat guy because it was the '90s and we had to make fat jokes, but also kind of the sweet poet, um, the, the the kind of the more uh, a bit of more of a goofy one, the hopeless romantic sometimes. <laughs> and so these are your main garg. Oh, and then um, Bronx, their guard dog creature thing which is the weird part to me it's it's kind of like the the goofy uh pluto conversation like goofy's a dog and pluto's a dog but goofy talks and pluto doesn't it's kind of weird like that kind of doesn't make any sense yeah exactly so it is a kid's show so. it is a kid's show so yeah it needs you need a dog but those are like the main clan members and you are introduced to them pretty early on in the sh uh, in the the historical portion as well as another character uh demona who is goliath's love interest his uh his his love and from our understanding when they get to the show or when they, sorry from our understanding when they are resurrected from our understanding when the the betrayal happens, Demona is killed, and it's only the Goliath, Brooklyn, Hudson, Lexington, Broadway, and Bronx that live from the clan. Everybody else has been killed. And so we are then revealed that Demona is alive, and David Xanatos introduces us to them. And in this first episode, we are introduced to magic, or this first five episodes, we're introduced to magic, and uh s like corporate espionage and uh drama on the sense of love and betrayal uh in the question of who do you trust when you when you don't feel like you can trust anyone um we're introduced to seeing past someone's appearance into the, what really lies beneath them and we see that with the character elisa maza who is our human human surrogate to the world of the gargoyles and a potential love interest of Goliath the gargoyle that never goes anywhere though just FYI just gonna gonna, gonna rip that band-aid off for you oh, um, man that's ruined forever I know I'm so sorry 
Um, but through this show, it just, it's really hard to articulate just how many interesting things are happening. There's, uh, you know, sci-fi, um, sorcery happening. There's a character called Coldstone that blends sorcery and technomancy together uh, to, to reanimate this creature. There's genetic modifications. There's, uh, uh, classic literature in the sense that there's a character who is clearly very heavily modeled off of the story of Shakespeare Macbeth. Um, he even goes by the name Macbeth and is like referenced and there's references to the play inside the show uh, that kind of is like, is it's implied that is this character the origins of the story of Macbeth and then Shakespeare got these ideas and then made the show or made the play Macbeth based on what actually happened to this guy and kind of altered it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And there's drama and it's just, it's very crazy. There's so much going on. It's so much fun. Uh, the animation kind of, struggles sometimes it doesn't hold up all a hundred percent of the time it very clearly was uh they had several this is pretty early on when um animation was kind of sourced out to several different houses uh quote unquote to like animate stuff and then they would come back with it but uh after the first season was done um disney was like hey that was real great let's do that again and ordered up a second season of the show. So the first season was uh, 13 episodes. So you kind of your standard uh, animated season, you know, cool, whatever. Uh, and they were like, let's do that. Do you want to venture a guess on what the second season, how many episodes they ordered up for that one is? Hmm. I feel like you've posed this question to me before, but it was regarding anime. <laughs> that is all sorts of crazy so i'm gonna guess a little lower and say maybe like 50. wow okay that was real close man <laughs> they ordered up 52 episodes for season two of this show well every dog has his day so there you go <laughs> but that kind of just shows you like the impact the first season had where they were like, okay, like this show is going to go far. Let's 52. Let's go. Let's figure this out. And they just like circled it up and shot out all of that. Um, eventually they did make season three, but that's not really considered canonical. Um, it is not Canon. Um, and that's 13 episodes. I don't, if, I mean, if you really like the show, like feel free to watch it. It's not, the worst thing that's ever happened but also it's yeah <laughs> i love i love the use of not the worst thing that's ever happened as a super passive aggressive backhanded compliment but uh <laughs> you're gonna have to ex answer a couple of questions real quick um it hurts my brain even thinking about how to set up like story arcs and make season that's 52 episodes long function so did they have 
any overarching storylines during that, or did they just do like a bunch of one-offs and many arcs, essentially? Oh my God, Jesse, I'm so happy you asked this question. Please, please do explain because that hurts my brain trying to trying to imagine that. That's the crazy thing. So, I mean, it's still a show. They still have like minor things, like just like one, like one-offs. Yes, but <laughs> there are characters that are introduced in season one that then have full-blown arcs and resolutions in the end of season two. The whole um, the character Macbeth, you learn a little uh, the the actually fun thing. The um, episode uh, nine is where the character Macbeth is introduced to us. And the title of the episode is Enter Macbeth, which is a small little joke to theater because that's the uh, stage direction is Enter Macbeth. That's yeah, nerdy theater joke. But well, and, I mean, the show uses a lot of Shakespearean influences. So you're on yeah. you're on track there. Good story. Yeah. So they introduce Macbeth and we learn a little bit about him, but we don't truly learn about the relationship that Macbeth has to this gargoyle clan until season two. And it goes on and we learn about Xanatos and something called that the Internet uh, there's actually a trope based around him called the Xanatos Gambit, where the idea is, is that no matter what happens, you always come out on top. Um, and that's what David Xanatos is, is that no matter what goes on, he's always seems to be one step ahead of everybody and always seems to win. Uh, a prime example of a Xanatos Gambit is, you know, someone talks, it's like, oh, you know, you fight me, uh, I, you, we fight, I kill you, I win. Uh, you fight me, I lose, but the dragon I'm controlling destroys you and the army behind you. Uh, you stop the dragon, but that allows me to uh, capture your um, bride. Um, you... Um, stop me from capturing your bride, but that allows for my son to kill your son. And like, so it's just no matter what happens, you you know, Xanatos always comes out on top. And so you have storylines that are started in season one of introduction of characters that don't truly pay off until season two. And when I say that, I mean, you meet a character and you're like, okay, cool. This is, you know, this is Xanatos's assistant. Cool. Wonderful. Eventually you meet another character. You're like, huh, this guy looks like, like, like that other character we've already met. Are they brothers? <laughs> and then a few episodes later, they, they like, they are in the same room and someone mentions that and then they're like oh no we don't we're not related at all and you're like what's going on and then there's a big twist reveal that happens and you're like oh my gosh this was this th this guy was here the entire time and this other character was introduced and it's just the, the threads weave together and it's so impressive that they spent all this time and this is why when talking about their other media, 
there is uh, season three. And the reason that a lot of people it's, it's not Canon is because uh, Greg, uh, Greg Wiseman, uh, who I talked about earlier. Yeah. Wasn't really involved in that. And so Jesse, if you ever have to, if you know, you're like, Oh, I want to learn more about gargoyle stuff. And you're curious, is it Canon to the, uh, first and second uh, season of Gargoyles the, Anim- Gargoyles, the animated show, there's a very easy, uh, easy uh, test to see if that's, if it does fit in the storyline, if it's Canon. And it's simply looking to see what uh, Greg's involvement in it is. If he's just kind of there and they asked him some questions, it's probably not Canon. If he's the leading person behind it, definitely canon and worth the approach and read so i can see why it didn't do as well given that the man behind all this wasn't running things essentially and that last season was there like a contract dispute did he just not want to do it did disney not you know did they not want to meet his creative vision? What what happened there? It's definitely not that he didn't want to do it. He loves the show. He's talked about it many times. He's, in fact, uh, gone on to do uh, to continue the uh, series in comic books and is even coming out with another uh, two comic book series here later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this uh, next year D- didn't agree with what they were doing. And so Disney kind of went in a different route because they're like, oh, we want to uh, do it this way. We're going to do it this way. And he was just not not really interested in that. And he's you know, said that Gargoyles is still his baby. It's what he loves. He loves the characters. He loves the, the whole thing. He was the one that suggested they bring in Goliath, which changed the show from another Adventures of the Gummy Bears, which, I, which was very cartoony and I referenced earlier to something much more in line of a blend between that and Batman, the animated series and the dark tones that it had get on board with that 13 episode run of the third season of the gargoyles, which is referred to as the Goliath Chronicles. Yeah, I, I can understand that. It's kind of weird that they would have backed away from continuing, you know, with exploring those types of themes and, you know, following in suit with what shows like Batman, the animated series were doing, because that, you know, is still wildly popular throughout the nineties. And, you know, as we covered in the Batman episode earlier in the year that opened the door, you know, the Batman animated series opened the door for DC to, you know, go on, you know, one of its best runs in terms of uh, content on TV. So kind of feels like it was a missed opportunity there to me. Yeah. And that's something too, that a lot of fans like myself have been clamoring. Like I remember, um, like I said, we, I brought this up and was like, Hey, I'm rewatching this. Did you ever watch it? And you're like, no. And I was like, Oh, it's so good. You should definitely do it. Um, and then I think some time went past and then I found an article that said that he was going to be bringing back the, com- or, you know, continuing his comic series. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, Jesse, check this out. And then you even suggest you're like, do you want to wait to talk about this, uh, until that comic series comes out? 
I was like, no, no, no. I still want to talk about it. Um, we're, we're very methodical in, in planning the show. It's a little behind the scenes pink there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it just, it, it's kind of weird because it is something that a lot of fans are really passionate about. There's been conversations around uh, a reboot. There's been conversations around a movie. Um, I even think, um, I think it was Jordan Peele even said that he would be he he would want to direct um, a a gargoyles movie um, because he it was a big part growing up for him and he enjoyed it immensely so he would want to see something like that happen um, it hasn't gotten much further than that but like that shows you kind of the the level of like the level of uh, of creator that's involved and wants to be a part of this process. Um, so it's just weird that Disney hasn't pushed anything further. Uh, the only reason that the comic book series was um, cut off, the one that Greg was originally uh, a part of, was that they, uh, from uh, Slave Labor Graphics, um, mm -hmm. They they Disney upped the royalty price too high, so they couldn't afford it. So they couldn't continue uh, the series that he wanted to put out. So they had to cut it. And so it's just weird to me that they kind of are. They have this property that they have put out online. They've uh, licensed out the brand to make a board game a while back. That's gotten mixed reviews, um, but they aren't doing anything with it. And it feels like almost like they're too busy focusing on uh, Star Wars and Marvel and their live action reboots to focus on things like this, that they are. Just, it's just like they're like, oh, we just don't have time for this type stuff. And it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think you probably hit the nail on the head there. They our runaway freight train in terms of content being produced under, you know, those more lucrative properties as I'm sure they see them. And I'm sure as the results actually yield, but they, that's kind of been an issue, I think. And we've talked about this and, you know, indirectly, you know, when we've been covering some of the more recent MCU content as I, I miss, you know, getting some more of those smaller stories or, you know, things that aren't all, you know, uber hyper connected to everything else. And this seems like a good opportunity to step away and focus on something like that. That doesn't have to be, you know, part of this, this grand, you know, cinematic universe or, you know, 40, 50, odd years of you know building a franchise so it seems like they could do something with that but they don't have to and if they don't see big dollar signs behind it i think it's probably pretty easy to guess as to why that's not happening which is unfortunate and a downside to disney owning all of these properties exactly yeah it's just one of those things that's just <sighs> frustrating for i think a lot of fans of these kind of dormant uh, uh hibernate i will say hibernating 
I like mm-hmm. hibernating because hibernating implies waking up eventually. Um, well, and it's it's hard for even things that aren't directly part of like even for Marvel, if they aren't directly part of like the MCU to get off the ground. Like I've been hearing about an X Men animated series reboot for a while now, and that's finally just me to gain some traction. And that show was wildly popular, you know, back when we were kids. It it kind of led to those live action films being made because that show was so popular. So it's weird how they make decisions sometimes, but I don't always understand corporations and their rationale, uh, even when money is involved, because there are certain cases where that, that seems like it would be a slam dunk to me. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the thing is that they probably are just too scared to think about venturing into these unknown territories. Mm-hmm. And they'd rather take it on the chin again and again about, you know, oh, look, another giant beam uh, in the sky pitched battle at the end of this Marvel movie. Oh, no, look, another Skywalker storyline twined into our Star Wars movie. Cool. Uh, Oh, look, another live action movie that is terrible, yet we keep pumping them out. It's just one of those things where just it's where you, you i agree with you where it doesn't make sense and it seems like there are these things that potentially could be slam dunks maybe not in the same financial sense as some of these other things but because they aren't going to make that same amount even if people hate them it's not worth it to them yeah man again like i think you're right on the money haha there but uh yeah dude it's weird it, it, the streaming wars is just you know it's created you know i think a lot of struggles for some of these more independent or not as hyper popular properties to to get their time in the spotlight and that's i mean how many crappy chris pratt movies have we gotten from prime at this point you know so <laughs> It is what it is, but I I understand the fans' frustration to that sense. Because if if this was like not owned by a giant corporation, I mean Jordan Peele would be all over that. He he has his own freaking studio, so yeah, I yeah exactly. I feel like it would have been snatched up much sooner, but yeah. they hold but, on to it greedily. Yeah, hold on to it greedily, and don't let anybody else have any fun. That good. <laughs> Mouse, that's the house of mouse for you yeah but uh jesse uh well i think this is probably a good point to wrap it up here um i do have a question for you yeah. do you think you might venture into watching gargoyles the animated series now i might do just that uh thanks to you know the info that you provided but also i looked this up and Keith David voices Goliath, which is awesome. Keith David oh. is one of my heroes. So, yeah. Uh, uh, moving up on the priority list here in terms of checking it out. I mean, dude, the voice acting for this show is top notch. Mm-hmm. Uh, between, you're talking about Keith David. Um, 
hold on. I was going to pull it up. Yeah, I saw Ed Asner is in Ed, here. Ed, yeah. I he always forget that Ed Asner did stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Or awesome. So, um, and, and the cool thing, too, is that it's not just uh, because of uh, Keith David. Um, they actually brought on a huge amount of Star Trek alumni. Um, so you're talking these aren't just uh, just, you know, different voice actors, not saying voice actors are bad. We've talked about this before. I love voice actors. But you bring on like a level of actor. Um, Jonathan Franks uh, plays David Xanatos. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, make it so number one. Um, mm -hmm. Commander Riker, he, he, he plays one of the main characters. Um, you have several other Star Trek alum that come on and play different roles. Um, even uh, famous voice actors come on and it's just Inc. They have such a good voice cast. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and that, again, to the credit of, I think, shows like this, like Batman, the animated series, just made animation kind of a, a pathway for famous actors to, to get some work that you know, maybe didn't put them as much in the spotlight as, you know, film did at the time, but I think definitely more, you know, creatively satisfying and, you know, something that they could, they could really buy into. So, and that's, you know, really made stuff like this appealing uh, or created a trend where we could get more famous talent involved with stuff like this. So thank God for that. Yeah. Well, great. I'm happy to hear that you're going to, you, you'll move it up on the list. Give it a, give it a look. See. Yeah. Fucking list is always growing because goddamn Disney plus, but uh, yes, no, we're moving it up. And, and this particular one is quite long. Um, yeah. 50 episodes in one season. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah. I, I promise they're good. Don't, don't worry. They're good. Oh, I'm sorry, 52. I, I that was my guess, but it's actually yeah. 52. So. <laughs> yeah, they're good. I promise. Uh, <laughs> All right, <laughs> but uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Hit the Real, the podcast where we talk about uh, the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. Um, we try to get this podcast out uh, weekly, uh, usually on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, depending on how much I'm doing that weekend. But hey, if we got anything wrong uh, in this episode, if I was totally off base in my architecture, uh, architectural history uh, lesson at the beginning of the episode, please let us know um, at hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. Or also feel free to let us know if something else was uh, uh, goofed in the episode, not just the architectural history part. Um, we also have a Patreon. Uh, feel free to take a look at that in the description of the episode. We'd love the support. And like always, hey, keep it real.